there really is something energetic about the shift in energy that happens in this season at this time when we go from darker to lighter, lighter. And that reminds me of when I took the first core and it was the concussion part. And by then you're already brain dead. So it's really like a silly place to put concussion because you're concussed as you're reading these slides. Yeah. And I believe it's in the textbook as well, or it could be in the resume. It's in some of the literature as well, a different way of thinking of concussion. And I remember reading about if there's been a major stress, a change in job, a change in season. And I was like, I felt so validated reading that because some people are, maybe if you're energetically sensitive, when those seasons change and the dark is dark and then it shifts you feel a bit discombobulated and you don't know why. So I remember reading that and saying, yes, like there, there's something here to throw, sprinkle in a little bit of FSM right now. When I give custom cares to athletes and the big question is, well, how often do I run this? And how often do I run that? And I know you and I roll our eyes, but it is such an important question because people just don't know and they want a recipe. So I'll always say like the workout post-recovery or doms, that's easy. You're going to do that after a game or after a big workout. When you start feeling off or disconnected or, and I'm giving them adjectives and I see that same expression in their face. I was reading the concussion. Oh, you get that. Yeah. So I think it's important for those of you who are listening or watching that work with athletes that you're you change your lens and don't be so myopic with the torn and broken and the torn and broken, stop the bleeding, all the recovery stuff. Cause a huge component for any patient really is the psycho-emotional heart. Yeah, exactly. That layer. When I put concussion or concussion in Vegas on a patient's custom care, I don't call it concussion. No. I call it brain balance because yeah. that's what it is. We were in San Francisco this weekend for the last practicum of the year. And it was a really interesting class. One MD, two DOs, a bunch of physical therapists, two dentists, massage therapists, acupuncturists, chiropractors, and four or five patients. And the supine cervical practicum, we do that three times. And that's the one that I used to leave second or last. And then I finally figured out what last year or the year before. Yeah, that's where you figure out that the frequencies actually do what they're described as doing. Yeah, I'm not sure what's on your list today, but I'm going to just take the train off the tracks just to do. You've never done that before, so I wouldn't know how to adapt. Imagine what happened. (laughs) So there was a patient that had, I think he had Ehlers-Danlos. We once again. 20% 20% out of 24 patients, we had four, six Ehlers-Danlos patients in the class. Wow. It's two hypermobility and four full-on Ehlers-Danlos. And one of them was male, which is unusual. And he wasn't Marfan's. He was just straight up Ehlers. And we're used to torn and broken in the connective tissue as normalizing range of motion. Actually, maybe it was a female. Anyway, then 40 and 10 got rid of the body pain. And she went from a baton nine out of nine to seven out of nine. The knees were still a little bit backwards. And I looked at her hamstrings, felt her hamstrings. And the hamstrings were really tight. And that's why her knee was backwards. Like her knee was like hyperextended? Hyperextended, yeah. Yeah. It was three, 
four degrees, it wasn't horrible. It was just hyper extended. And I looked at her and felt her hamstrings, quads, pectineus, and brevis and went, what if it's not just 40 and 10? Her hamstrings were really tight. Bilaterally. Bilaterally, enough to pull her knee backwards. Yeah. What if it's not just inflammation in the cord that's causing body pain? What if it's loss of descending inhibition? No. So the the class is standing around watching me. In real time, troubleshooting. In real time, create the hypothesis. So we ran 81 and 10. And the left leg went straight. Took 10, 15 minutes. Came out of hyperextension into normal extension backwards out of hyperextension and just went was normal and is she she's supine or what what's her position she's standing okay it is standing so we could watch it in real time and they could watch the palpation yeah because the hamstrings and the quads and the pectineus and the brevis go from rock to smushy and how did you have the towel placement neck and feet so i had her standing on a towel yeah wrap around her neck and we're watching the left leg go normal. And there's the right leg. The quads and the pectinase and the brevis and the adductors all went smushy. Hamstrings were rock-like. And still not four degrees, but still tighter than it should be. And I looked at it and went, what would do that? Why would the hamstrings only on the right be super tight. Let's lay you down on the table. So we laid her down on the table, put a towel under her back and ran. Now I have to think about it. The sciatic nerve, and I'm closing my eyes because you have to see it. Yeah. The sciatic nerve. Actually, I didn't lay her down. We did it all standing. I stuffed a towel in her waistband. Okay. And she's standing on a towel. Okay. Runs in between the muscle bellies. Okay. So I did scarring in the nerve. Yeah. And the hamstrings softened up. Okay. And then I did the top part of the hamstring was still really tight. And it's like the fat pad that's around the hamstring is pretty small down where it bifurcates. But it's the thing is that big up between the gluteal fold and about midway and that's where it was rock-like so I ran sclerosis in the adipose and peeled it apart hamstring loosened up and then I went down to the knee and said how does that feel and she said it still feels sore when we run Ehlers-Danlos we run torn and broken in the connective tissue 77 there's an you remember the names. I just remember the tissues. There's round tendons in the hamstrings, one of them, medial lateral. And I run broken in 191. Hmm. And the pain in the knee went away. And after you got rid of the adhesions in the sciatic and the fat pad, now both of her legs were straight and she was a baton zero out of nine. Very and, good. And as this group is watching, it's you guys understand that in six years and double digits of treating others, Danlos, I've never done this before. I've never seen this before. This is why we teach it as a language. Yeah. So you can see what's in real time in front of you and then noodle it, create a hypothesis. Now, you may not get it the first time. She's going to come back in five days anyway because she's got her Ehlers-Danlos and you're going to look at her legs and her right leg is going to be still bendy. 
and you'll have another chance to figure it out. Just don't give up. 27 years, I've never done this. And to find an Ehlers-Danlos patient where the legs were tight and it was a disc bulge that not only went laterally to the pain pathways to create that body pain, but it was a disc bulge that went centrally to interfere with descending inhibition. Never seen it before, but it was really fun. (laughs) Can I comment? Absolutely. The biomechanical stuff, that's what gets my heart pumping. I'm such a geek when it comes to not just muscle testing, but range of motion. And that's where I think got me the street cred that I did because I documented everything, every degree that I changed. I had to write it down because nobody would believe me otherwise. Exactly. The patient does, the athlete did, but for me to go back to their trainer or go back to their PT or their chiropractor and say, this is what we did. This is what it looked like before. Take a picture, document the range of motion, document what worked, what didn't work, how that affected their range of motion. And sometimes it's not just range of motion. So to your point, you're doing this in real time, just with the normal standing assessment. And to see tone start to change and muscles recruit that weren't recruiting, you don't have to pay me for that stuff. Obviously, we have to pay the bills and the rent, but to be able to troubleshoot and to think about, there's another reason why I like having netters, because you see the tissue differently. You don't just think of semi-membranosis of having an origin at the pelvis and an insertion on the tibia and innervated by, you have to see it. What does the tendon look like? Is it long? Is it short? Is there a fat pad around it? What does the musculotendinous junction look like? Like all these things you have to re- you're relearning the anatomy as an artwork, as a visual that you've never had before. What a gift. It was amazing. And the whole psychological thing, the last practicum on Sunday afternoon is the supine lumbar. Yes. Working on the abdomen as usual. Out of seven tables, there were two musculoskeletal. Everybody else was visceral. Yeah. And two of the patients, I'm going to go to one in particular, 60-year-old male. And... They're working on his abdomen, his psoas. And what he said was, it really makes me feel anxious. I feel stressed, anxious. And I happened to be standing there because I cruised the tables. And I said, tell me what's that about? And he said, I don't know. I just feel anxious. So I reached over and they had it on 970 and 27, the frequency to remove fear. I went over and switched it to 40 and 89. And you could watch his body relax. And I, we talked later, the whole class, about the language you use when you're working on a patient. So you don't say, do you still feel anxious? Yeah. Did that make you feel less anxious? What's the word you hear? You hear anxious and the patient's pretty stoned anyway. So it, it reinforces the anxiety. So what you say is, how does that feel? How do you feel now? Oh, I'm more relaxed. And I said, so what's up? And he said, What comes to mind is this event that happened when I was 18 and I had a motorcycle accident. I hit the curb, flew over the handlebars. I missed the phone pole. I missed the barbed wire fence and I missed the rebar. But the back of my leg caught the key. I don't know how this happened given the mechanics, but He ended up with a gash on his lower leg. So because of the accident and because he got taken to the emergency room and he describes this, he's in the emergency room and they scrub the gravel 
out of the gash in his calf with bristle brushes, no anesthetic, no, that's a good face, and no pain meds. And I'm running 40 and 89. Now, the hippocampus gets paid to remember. The amygdala is terrified and, it, and the thalamus is like, this hurts like hell. So the whole midbrain is storing this traumatic event in real time. Now, my background before I went to chiropractic college and while I was still a drug rep, I took a course in clinical hypnosis for MDs in San Diego. And then after I got my master's, I did a year of training in post-trauma hypnosis. So just so everybody knows, all the practitioners listening, listening, every patient is automatically in a state of hypnosis. You have to work to keep them out. So they are automatically, once they're on your table and your hand is on them, especially if they're in pain, they're hypnotized. So you use neutral language. Part of what's so terrifying about this event is you're in the emergency room, you're 18, you're powerless, and these guys are torturing you. He said, yeah, that's it. Okay. So I put my hand on his shoulder, and that sort of deepens the state of visualization. He's got his eyes closed anyway. And I said, since you're seeing in real time this image and this experience of you in the emergency room let's have you change it right and he said okay I said how could you change it to make them stop oh I would sit up on the table and I actually helped him Imagine this because the patient is in the middle of this terrifying video in their head. And he said, How about if you sat up on the table and used colorful metaphors to tell them to stop, get you some pain meds, get you some anesthetic, and you want to see their supervisor? And he said, Oh, that feels much better. At which point you just press on his shoulder and that seats the visual, that seats the second image. And effectively it overwrites the first one. I did that for 10 years doing clinical practice in hypnosis. But we have 40 and 89 as a tool. So 40 and 89, to quiet down the power of that traumatic memory, to quiet down the power, actually allowed him to remember it. Because before that, he just had the emotion of agitation, anxiety, fear. So you quiet down the strength of the unconscious terror. And then the image could surface. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. I'm just like hypnotized listening to you because if you haven't had that happen to you, you know, at least a dozen patients that have these surface during treatment. In the same practicum room, across the room on a different table, there was another practitioner with a similar medical horror story she was 13 with a bladder infection on a exam table in an emergency room with two residents no female chaperone and without her mother and they're doing a pelvic exam on a 13 year old so she's going through exactly the same thing this guy did and we did exactly the same thing. 40 and 89 allowed her to remember it because until then she was just 
freaked as they were working on her abdomen. So let's inter intercept, yeah. interject. Let me play something here because so many practitioners will write questions about using the emotional frequencies and they try to just hit these types of situations with the 970s, with terror, fear, defensiveness, anger, whatever. And 40 and 89 has to run first before you hit these emotional ones, because like you said, so many times the anxiety is, I don't know, I just feel anxious. Like anything else, even if it's like the biomechanics, you have to go back to why is this here? Why is this emotion here? Why is this pain here? Why is this scarring here? So 40 and 89 first. And I would imagine, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that will clear up most of the emotional stuff anyway. So then the 970s are like, maybe you need to run it, maybe not. I don't know. What do you? And in I'm comfortable in these settings just because of my background. Yeah. It's really likely that the average massage therapist, physical therapist may not be. Right. And so 40 and 89 may just allow the patient to if it takes the pressure off and allows the visual or the experience to come up from unconscious to conscious and the phrase, there's actually a book, Memories Buried Alive. So when you have a memory that's so emotionally traumatic, it's buried alive and it drives behavior. It drives physical pain. It drives memory buried alive. Yeah, memories buried alive, something like that. Yeah. And when you run 40 and 89, the visual may come up for the patient and the patient may or may not share it with you. And you may or may not. Feelings buried alive. Thank you to Cynthia. Feelings buried alive never die. So they may or may not tell you what it is. We just got luck, not lucky. I'm good at this. So I got them to talk about it use neutral questions if you're not comfortable dealing with it you don't have to ask they may say something about it and this whole class is now at least they have the idea that you can ask the patient is there a way you can change that memory where you're not powerless for both of them it was the pain and the powerlessness that were combined that created the terror sure it was yeah it's 40 and 89 you're right it has to come before the 970s sometimes 40 and 562 yes quiet the sympathetics but quiet the midbrain and quiet the medulla but for both of them there was no endocrine response there was no autonomic response they weren't sweating just straight up emotion it was magical it was so cool I've been running 40 and 89. Like I said, I say always on the background, I'm going to run something, whether it's concussion, but a lot of times when you're, when I know I'm going to a create a lot of change as far as range of motion, or the patient has a very traumatic history, it's a very safe background frequency to run while you're, you're digging and trying, especially when they're supine, especially if there's low back treating somebody supine, treating someone's abdomen is a very invasive treatment. Everybody needs to know that it is not something that you jump into the first five minutes on your first treatment with somebody. They have to feel comfortable letting you go through their abdomen. So positioning something very easy, like bending their knees and rocking their knees a little bit as you're digging around in their viscera can be very soothing. So running 40 and 89 is the frequency equivalent of giving them a fuzzy blanket and making them feel safe. So you always start on the asymptomatic side. Absolutely. So it's like the or anything that you treat. Yeah, yes. you're right. So as is painful and your right low back is painful he said no no it's the other side just like oh, i always start on the good side yeah so we have a couple questions let's get to those before we go any further with this um, a big topic yes would you want to hit the chat or the q a first i'll let you lead the way since we're right in the middle of this 40 and 89 thing yeah so feelings buried alive thank you cynthia 
So is it more effective to ask them if they can shift the memory to a more empowering scenario while running 40 and 89, or maybe two precision cares with 40 and 89 and a more specific emotion? Yeah, that actually wouldn't be a bad idea. It's 40 and 89. And then as they're talking, you can shift the 970s. And it's that's a good way to put it. Since you have this memory right in your face right now, can you think of a way that you would change it to make it more comfortable? And then you let the patient change it. It's, I don't know. It's, what if you set up? Oh, yeah, that would be good. And what would you tell them if you could? And we did this with rape victims and we did this with people that had been physically abused or kidnapped and all kinds of things, but you let the patient guide it. So then you say things like, what if, and then the patient will usually take it from there. And that's a good, that's a good thing. Yep. Kevin said the same thing. There you go. All right, Maddie. I'm going to try. Oh, we're back to the hamstring. Try this with my patient who had a huge MBA, 25 degree knee flexion contracture. Yep. Cries every session. Ow. As she still holds on to the car accident. There you go. That's a 40 and 89. And it's also 81 and 10. If you've taken the scar tissue apart at the knee, you have to remember the flexion contracture it's not just the connective tissue. It's always the nerve. Think about where the sciatic nerve comes down, especially if she cries. Sciatic nerve comes down, it splits into the tibial and the, right, it splits up at the knee. And there's all these cutaneous nerves at the knee. So scarring in the knee, oh, PTSD. Her leg is straight now, yay. But this would be so useful. PTSD made her head feel yuck for a week. Yeah. The PTSD protocol treats all of the brain parts. And I just have this feeling that concussion in Vegas might be as good. But the other thing with PTSD, especially if you have the old version, you have to make sure that your version doesn't have 81 and 89. And then the other piece of PTSD is when it goes away, you don't know who you are. And so your head really is messed up. Can I add that 40 and 89 for this MVA patient with the knee contracture, nothing will hold like the scar tissue will be fine, but you're going to need to rebalance strength. You're going to need to rebalance recruitment. And for all of those to take place, they have to have the confidence that they can recruit these muscles again. And 1489 will take care of that. The ability to treat the whole brain and its connection to the body, it's just huge. So 1489, 1492, so that the sensory cortex forgets what it thought it knew, and then increased secretions in the cerebellum, the spinal cord, the nerve and then go back yeah increase secretions in the sensory and motor cortex welcome to your new body and then teach them to walk again yeah it, it there is no place on the planet where this way of thinking about physical medicine is even possible except in our group it's just because everybody else fixes the physical stuff to the extent they can and turns the patient loose to try and get used to it over one to three to six months. And then we run into the question that every class asks, why isn't everybody doing this? And it's space medicine. There's that. Frequencies you can't hear, current you can't feel. And we are talking about a profession that took 50 years to learn to wash its hands. 
I decided 27 years ago to do it this way, one practitioner at a time. I'm not university-based. I'm not an MD. I don't have a PhD. And I wasn't interested in just selling gadgets. There are some gadget people that just, here, do this one thing and it'll fix everything. And you don't have to think about it. You just put this there and put this there, wave this thingy over it. And the laser things are very useful, but you don't have to think. So the people that do FSM and think about FSM and are willing to learn to think, they're heroic in my mind. Because it's, and it's an ongoing learning process. So to be able to tell this class that in what double digits of treating others, Dan Lowe said, I've never done this. And in, there are times in a, literally in 25 years of teaching this course, I've never done the hypnosis thing with 40 and 89 and reliving and chatting. I haven't done that since I stopped practicing clinical hypnosis 30 years ago. It's the first time. You guys are my heroes. Yes. All right. We have Q&A and chat still questions. So John writes, 40, we call inflammation. Not necessarily 40 is activity of, right? So we're not dealing with inflammation necessarily in the midbrain. We're quieting the activity. Correct? Is that right? Did I say that right? Yes, exactly. And I don't know why it works that way. So maybe 40, I don't know, 40 and 116 quiets the activity of the immune system. We've got some questions here in the Q&A. I'm going to jump to the middle for Leaf's really quick. Leaf, just because we're on it. Leaf says, is the abdominal invasiveness issue true with male patients too? Absolutely. Your organs are there. So we will do whatever we can to protect our organs. Think about football players for a minute or hockey players. They're getting a ball thrown out their midsection. They get a puck thrown out their midsection. I don't care how much padding. I don't care how much training they have. The first thing we're going to do is curl to protect our organs. So that is a very primitive reflex to protect no matter male or female. You don't get to vote. You don't get to yeah. And then you take a male that's been abused, molested, there's the belly is the most vulnerable place yeah. in the body, except for maybe the neck and the face. Yeah. Yeah. Good good question though. Yeah. What extent could, you want to do that one or you want to do the other one? Doesn't matter. We can go anywhere you want. Yeah. Yin. Let's Dana's got two in a row that are good. To what extent would you use FSM for club foot relapse, stretching and surgery? Oh, a lot. It's torn and broken and it's neurologic. So the sensory and motor cortex and the cerebellum, this is my hit on it. Yours may be different. A cerebellum are used to that foot being in flexion and Stretching the and surgery, every time you cut something, you create bleeding. Every time you bleed, you create scar tissue. And scar tissue in a nerve, it, cerebellum is not going to let you, is not going to let you elongate that tendon if the posterior tibial nerve and the deep peroneal nerve are adhered because somebody went in and sliced gives things they miss the nerve and they use suction and then they put them in a cast but no just no so relapse is they didn't get it done in the first place i would do 81 and 10 I do scarring in the nerve, torn and broken in the round and the flat tendons, go up and look at the knee because you're dealing with the gastroc and the soleus that cross the knee and go in and take apart the scarring in the 
nerves between the nerves and the connective tissue, the nerves and the blood vessels and the periosteum in the foot, calcaneus. Look at the talus. I can see your head working on the bones in the ankle and the foot. I'd also run bleeding first before scarring because again, how did it scar? They cut it. And when they cut it, it bled. So running 18 first for bleeding can be helpful for the scarring to start. Yes. Surgery is on this tomorrow. Surgery is tomorrow. Oh. A second surgery is tomorrow. Okay. Okay, fine. Oh, all right. There's only water in this cup, which is unfortunate at the moment. There you go. So it's too late to stop the surgery. But you're going to be an asset to help this person recover from the surgery and change the narrative here. He's been in stretching casts. So the other thing you're going to have to do on a four-year-old big time is 40 and 89, literally. Anything before the age of seven is stored there. So you have one machine that just does 40 and 89. Prior to the age of seven, prior to the age of 20, actually, but prior to the age of seven, they don't have the cortical control to suppress. So there's a part of the cortex and, oh, what is that? The insula that has the ability to suppress pain with cognitive overriding by explaining it. This kid has none of that. So they're going to give him drugs that we hope they're going to give him drugs because they used to think that children didn't feel pain. So that's a whole nother conversation. 1489 and treat him for the new injury, treat inflammation in the nerves, torn and broken and the connective tissue and stop the bleeding as soon as you can. Wow. Okay. You talk. I'm just like, can I take Dana's second question? Oh yeah. Okay. So Dana's second question is talking about yin or restorative yoga, where you hold positions for several minutes. Some say it's too taxing on ligaments to hold positions for so long Yet yoga instructors will tell you it's ultimately releasing unnecessary tension on ligaments. Thoughts. I have many thoughts, many thoughts on this. And I rent my space from a very beautiful big yoga studio. I think yoga is fantastic when it's used appropriately. Not everybody should be doing yoga, but here it is. Put my cup down. Why does one want to do yoga and be more flexible? That is one question. Doing postures and doing deep breathing and meditation, that is fantastic. But when we are talking about doing something that's creating permanent deformation of the connective tissue to increase range of motion, let's say a dancer or a gymnast who wants to do the splits, they're holding these stretches for long periods of time. This is what's necessary to create permanent deformation and connective tissue. Okay. This is non-negotiable. This is what you have to do. It's not just in the ligaments though. You are constantly tearing the muscle belly, the sarcomere, the musculotendinous junction, the tendon, the fascia, the fat. It's all of the connective tissue that gets pulled and pulled over a long period of time. Why one wants to do that is, so again, it's not just, it's not just on the ligaments and yes, time is needed for permanent deformation. Here's the thing. Most of us who are not Olympic or competitive dancers or gymnasts can get away with doing mobilizations over a shorter period of time in the elastic range, right? You have an elastic range where you can elongate, but things go back to that optimal position. And then you have the plastic range. That's what creates a permanent deformation. So instead of a sarcomere having this nice interlaced optimal actin and myosin union, you start pulling fibers further and further apart. You run into the issue of getting a stretch weakness. So when things are permanently pulled apart, you have the inability for the actin and myosin to connect and that muscle to shorten properly then you don't have proper tone or strength. This could be a whole other podcast. I'm sorry. I just, I have a riff when it comes to this stuff. No, you're much more articulate than I would be. 
and much more detailed. It's like, why would you want to do that? You're tearing. John Sharkey said it the best, and this is the fascia guy. He said, muscles don't stretch. Fascia doesn't stretch. It tears. Muscles are meant to contract. Shorten. Shorten. And in our world, fascia and muscles are enervated. And if they're short, there's a reason. And it is not useful to tear. And my own personal experience with yoga, as long as you stay in the comfortable range, you're fine. Absolutely. And I was in a completely comfortable range with my chest about, I don't know, 18, 20 inches away from my knee, doing that one where one leg is out straight and your hands are down by your foot and you're not bouncing and you're not doing anything. And in two seconds, my chest was on my knee and my right SI joint was torn. Yeah. And I had nerve pain down my leg. I tore the capsule and it took a year to repair it. And I wasn't doing anything bad. I was just, there you go, Dana. It's all coming together. See, the only people that are really effective gymnasts and ballerinas have their stand-ups or hypermobile. Their ligaments are genetically stretchy and elongated. And just to build on this one more time, because it's just, it's Christmas and you have to give this to me. In the sports course, we talk about how to increase range of motion for athletes like figure skaters and gymnasts who need to have ridiculously dangerous range of motion. And they are in the hyper flexible, hyper extendable positions running 49 in the tendon and the ligament was actually very helpful. So when they're in these extended splits where they're having to literally stay in the splits for half an hour every night to shift the ligaments, shift the tendons. Like I said, getting that in that plastic range. I'm like, could you at least run 49, increase the vitality and the ground and 81, the ground substance to these structures. So if they're going to be stretched and traumatized, we can at least give them something to aid in that process. But I have a question that you're the best one to answer. If we're treating them while they're doing this thing, would 124 and 77 be it, it would it help repair the tissue in its elongated state i think so in what in my experience with this i would give them the torn and broke it like 124 77 124 and like all the connective tissues as a post recovery protocol so i have them just using 49 and 80 one during the splits or during the whatever range they're trying to do, but then absolutely running 124 after is helpful to, it doesn't shorten it. It helps the tears. It just helps. It helps the, in my opinion, it helps the recovery for the tears. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Because the tearing is going to happen. Oh yeah. So let's just help the cleanup crew after do as best as they can. Yeah. Exactly. And then the neural repatterning for their brain to know that this hypermobile state is actually safe. I can't, I, no words. I can't talk about it because it's. Yeah. I know. And apologies to all the yogis out there that love having their leg up by their ear. I'm a pretty flexible person myself, but I also see the value in staying within safe limits. Yeah. And functional limits for my actin and myosin. Yeah. That's, let's hear it for actin and myosin. Yay. Here we go. Okay. And flexibility with strength. I have trouble with stretching just because of the information I've had from various places where U.S. athletes stretch more than any in the world. And we have the most injuries in certain sports. Right. the only ones that are seen stretching prior to activity everybody else go kim 
your yeah. Sorry, I will respectfully disagree with that. I don't know that proper stretching is critical and invaluable to health as we age. I think proprioception is invaluable. Balance is key. People don't break their hip and then fall. It's the balance that the lack of proprioception that happens, right? So we need to increase proprioception as we age and strength and the flexibility I don't know. I'm going to say like tissue health. I'm not going to say flexibility. I think as we age, we are vulnerable and strength and balance is critical. Eccentric contraction. Instead of thinking about stretching, Cynthia, I agree with Kim and have to, you can't stretch. Muscles don't stretch. Connective tissue doesn't stretch, but eccentric contraction. So you do this. So when I do lat pull downs, you concentrically contract the lats, but you're eccentrically contracting everything else. And balance and coordination is, it, yes. If anybody listening here wants to go to my Game Changers podcast and go to episode one where I had Peter Twist on. Peter Twist is leading the research with proprioception, fascia training. He's much more versed in this stuff than any of us could possibly try to be. Peter Twist has it all nailed down. And he was the one 25, maybe 30 years ago that talked about eccentric contraction. We have to teach people how to stop before we can teach them how to start. And that is what eccentric contraction is all about, lengthening under tension and control. Most often, athletes have poor eccentric control, which is why they get injured. Combine that with too much flexibility and lack of proprioception. And the place I learned about eccentric contraction is when I had an Achilles tendinopathy. So before we discovered 124 and 191, I was in the UK lecturing at a sports meeting, actually watching one of our practitioners lecture at this sports meeting. And one of the presentations was about eccentric in order to repair a hamstring tear. The most effective way to repair a hamstring tear is eccentric contraction of and not hamstring, Achilles. Most effective way of repairing an Achilles is eccentric contraction. They had me standing on a stair and eccentrically contracting as I lowered, but then I had to bend my knee, concentrically contract with no tension on the Achilles, and then eccentrically contract. Yes. And yes. That's a beautiful thing. Dana, no, Jimmy Stark, I don't know. Peter Twist is the person you want to look for. And he was on the Game Changers episode one podcast. But Jimmy Stark sounds fun too. <laughs> I don't know if that's a person, but let's have him on. Jimmy Stark, Peter Twist. Yeah, all those guys. Minette wrote, I prefer to use counter strain technique versus stretching, especially for my toddlers with torticollis. I get good results. Yes. And the other thing to remember with torticollis is the accessory nerve. So the literature in the physical therapy world on torticollis has to do, and the reason the paper was written using FSM for the scar tissue and necrosis in the connective tissue is the physical therapy world only has stretching and counter strain. When I asked, oh, I'm having trouble with names. When I asked the physical therapist that wrote that paper from Cleveland Clinic, why she didn't treat the accessory nerve? Why wouldn't you do 40 and 94 and 13 and 94? So the accessory nerve comes out of the medulla, goes to the upper trapezius and the SCM. So why wouldn't you run scarring in the nerve and it? quiet the activity of the accessory nerve to help get the drive off of that tendon. She said, I couldn't do it because it's not in the literature and it's not in the literature because she didn't do it. So right. that's another conversation. 
But anyway, we're out of time. It is not a serious. Okay. What's what happens when we get all excited about things? I have to redeem myself from my quote that didn't quite fit the podcast last week. So here it is. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Ready. Great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Oh, yes. Isn't that fantastic? And that's how I think of the frequencies are a series of connections, a series of synthesis. I see our FSM community is a series of, I don't want to call us small people, but in the great scheme of things, we are small things brought together for one giant, great, big cause. And that was Vincent Van Gogh that said that. I like, way to go, Vincent. Yeah. (laughs) That's the way I have thought of FSM from the beginning. I had to be content with changing one life. Yeah. You can't change, you can't do a great thing changing medicine. You just wash your hands. Yeah. So you do one patient at a time. I, we have one practitioner. Now we have 5,000. Not all of them still do it, but there's 5,000 practitioners in 23 countries. Amazing. Can you say that again? That's just... Yes, I can say it again. Great yeah. things are done by a series of small things brought together. A series of small things done well. Yes. Yeah. Here we go. Small things brought together. We are brought together. every And our little group that we get every okay. Wednesday. That's Thanks, it. everybody, for coming. We will see everybody... Next Wednesday, right before Christmas. Right before Christmas. It is the gift we give each other and our patients. Yes. We'll see you in Phoenix. I'm getting more and more excited about that. I know. Phoenix is, I think there's one spot left for the FSM sports course. And we have lots of spots left. There's only one night at the hotel that's full, but there are other hotels in the area. Yes. So we're- Just come. We'll let you in. Yeah. Love ya. Bye, everybody. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.